Welcome to episode 71 of the GTR on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 15 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. And once again, we have Diana from Fierce Wireless. So let's get started with my first topic. This week, Dell conducted its uh, tech summit, and there were um, several uh, telecom-related announcements. One was on a bare metal orchestrator which in my opinion has applications obviously, you know, beyond telco, but, you know, Dell, you know, sort of, you know, focused that announcement on sort of telco workloads and that sort of thing. Um, there were several edge announcements as well as Dell uh, continues to build out its portfolio. And, you know, the question for me is like, you know, is Dell finally moving the needle with respect to its focus on 5G because they sort of been on again, off again, but recently, uh, there was a reorganization um, in the team with, um, you know, an executive departure. Dennis Hoffman is leading that group now, and um, he reports directly to Jeff Clark, who uh, is the, the COO, I believe, who reports directly to Michael Dell. So, and obviously Michael Dell has been talking a lot about 5G. So, I mean, finally, from my perspective, I'm seeing a lot of momentum, you know, sort of coming together. And um, so these announcements were quite strong. Um, if you hit my Twitter feed, you'll find some insights there. But um, I'm also impressed with what Dell has been uh, accomplishing uh, in Europe with respect to OpenRAN. So um, they announced um, several weeks ago an announcement with Vodafone. They've been doing some sort of proof of concepts with respect to um, an OpenRAN deployment. And that involves some you know, uh, common off the shelf you know, server products, not really telco grade. But um, they followed that up recently with um, another announcement, a, a win with, uh, with Tim in Italy. And so, you know, from my perspective, the roadmap is maturing. Um, they're bringing these, uh, these edge solutions on, which should supercharge 5G use cases. There wasn't really a lot of discussion um, at the Dell Tech Summit around how edge will play a role with, uh, with Dell's, um, you know, go to market there. But you know, from my perspective, you know, all the right things are coming together. Um, certainly, their competitor in HPE is ha has a much more mature uh, telecom group. Um, they've been, you know, providing blueprints. They, you know, HPE's been doing a lot around, you know, orchestration and that sort of thing. So that that bare metal orchestrator, I think, was their response, uh, you know, to what HPE has been doing. But I'm wondering, Diana, do you have any any thoughts here? You kind of touched on some of the things that I, I would have mentioned, which would have been, um, you know, I, I guess just recognition of them as a player in this space. To your point, you know, HPE has kind of been more at the forefront than they have. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see how Dell develops their reputation on this. Um, also, to me, the the whole orchestration and bare metal thing. I know they positioned it as 5G because obviously they're trying to make a name for their, themselves there, but the edge the edge use cases there are just, you have to think that so many people are gonna tap into that, um, that I, I'm surprised that they didn't go a little harder on that front. Yeah, you know, I was too. And especially, you know, when you look at, you know, beyond, you know, HPE, tel the telco group, you look at the maturity of what HPE has been doing in the market with its intelligent edge um, thrust. That you know, Dell really needs to step up in my mind and really provide you know some clear differentiation on how their strategy is going to be different. And I think they missed an opportunity with with, with Telco. But they uh, got to yeah. get the messaging straight. 
I agree. But let, let's start with your first topic. And you want to talk about SoftBank and KDDI. Yeah. So uh, they announced this week that Nokia is going to be one of, I think it's two now vendors for a shared 5G network build. Uh, they had previously announced that Ericsson is also going to be working with them on this. And so to me, I just thought it was really interesting, not even so much from um, a vendor perspective as just the idea of shared 5G builds, um, right? So we've we've heard about this also in China um, and obviously now Japan is looking at this. And I was curious, I wanted to kind of pose the question to you guys as to whether you think um, this is something that's gonna catch steam and maybe be replicated in, uh, you know, maybe some smaller countries like across Europe maybe um, to help reach rural places where there's really not, uh, so much incentive uh, financially to build to those rural locations. I'm not sure I see it so much in the US, right. <laughs> but uh, I'm curious what you guys think, Anshul. Um, I think that these shared builds sound like a way to you know, lighten the, the burden, right? Um, and I think that there's gonna be places, I, I don't think these are gonna be blanket deployments, like to your point, I think they make sense for rural deployments, um, especially when you consider that, I think one of the biggest factors is actually just the availability of sites. Um, and, you know, I, I think if you look at like what T-Mobile accomplished with how fast they've rolled out 600 and, and 2.5, a lot of that is because they owned a lot of the sites already. They took advantage of Sprint's existing sites and, basically built out a network using two networks. Um, so I think that's kind of the idea here is to take advantage of having, you know, different spectrum holdings and different sites and maximize the potential of the two together to bring it to market faster and cheaper. Now, how they, you know, roll this out on the business side and how they, you know, count this as profits and, and, and OPEX and things like that, That'll be interesting to see. Um, and you know, what will happen down the road? Maybe they're just gonna differentiate on services um, in other ways rather than trying to differentiate on the infrastructure itself, um, which makes sense if you ask me, just because um, I feel like at this point, a lot of the carriers, regardless of how hard they've tried, they're still just a pipe. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll weigh in real quick. I mean, um, there were some announcements in the EU about a year ago, and I forget the operators. I think it was Vodafone and, and maybe three um, that, you know, they're, they're, they're basically sharing some, some infrastructure deployment costs as well. So I think, you know, I agree with, with both of uh, your insights there and that, you know, th this is a way, you know, for, you know, you know, coverage in rural, you know, uh, to make sense economically. And uh, so I think, you know, it's not going to be ubiquitous to uh, to both of your points, but I think it's it's an interesting you know uh, way to go about it. And then I totally agree with you, Anshul. Um, really, the way that the, the the operators are going to have to differentiate is based on service delivery, and some are going to be stronger in consumer versus enterprise. You know, I've been on record stating that I think the the, the most transformative use cases for 5G are on the enterprise side, but but time will tell. But let's let's head to your your first topic this week, Anshul. You want to talk about Qualcomm, Verizon, and Samsung? Yes. So earlier this week, there was a pretty big announcement. Um, I saw it happen simultaneously between Qualcomm, Verizon, and Samsung. Um, and basically, what it was is that it was a 
combined announcement with all three companies uh, utilizing Samsung equipment uh, and devices, I believe, um, and then uh, using Qualcomm's modems. Uh, and they were basically on Verizon's network using millimeter wave. Um, and what they were able to do was they were able to actually achieve uh, an upload of 711 megabits per second. Um, and it looks like they were using 400 megahertz of Verizon's 5G millimeter wave and 20 megahertz of their 4G. So it was actually a 4G, 5G aggregate um, and it was using uh, 28 gigahertz uh, using Samsung's compact macro VRAN. And then it was using a Snapdragon X65 modem. So um, this kind of shows that while millimeter wave has great downlink capabilities, it also has great uplink capabilities, which I think um, if you look at what the potential is there, um, the, the uplink is actually more valuable to a lot of people than the downlink, especially in enterprise where you have lots of content creation going on and, and media you know, generation and trying to upload that. So there's a lot of potential there. The only issue is that still at this point, millimeter wave does have very limited coverage. And we've talked about you know, potential repeaters improving that. Um, but right now, you know, the uplink is, is getting a lot faster. And I mean, 711 megabits is more than what most people are getting on the downside. Um, so, you know, being able to have this um, is gonna be really valuable in very dense locations, which is where millimeter wave works best. Um, I could see this being incredibly useful in stadiums um, and other places where, you know, concert venues where you're trying to, you know, upload a video, um, you know, it, you, you can have hundreds of users simultaneously uploading and it doesn't even, you know, affect the network in the slightest. So I don't know what you guys thought of this announcement, but uh, I'll let uh, Diana. Yeah, sure. Um, so I have to I have to confess when I first saw the announcement, I didn't read it as upload. I read it as download, and I was like, "What is this?" You know, <laughs> because for so long it's been you know gigabit, gigabit, gigabit. But um, yeah, this is really impressive for upload. Um, and to your point, uh, I will be interested to see if this stays for mobile or if Verizon tries to turn this into an enterprise play um, for fixed wireless, right? Cause that's where it would be like, to your point, very valuable um, because it has to be uh, in dense locations, um, which, you know, would be good for a campus if they're using fixed wireless and kind of beam it into um, the office. Um, my other thought would be, I wonder <laughs> if people don't go back into dense locations quite as much as, uh, everybody's kind of banking on. Uh, I will be interested to see how they translate this into a broader offering that still has value, right? So um, obviously these speeds are awesome. Um, I can, to your point about content creation, um, doing work, things like stadiums, I'm sure will be fine, but the, the more office oriented use cases, um, I'll be interested to see uh, how those play out and whether or not Verizon needs to look at getting these two a broader audience because I think if people have it in their hands, they'll find a way to use it. Well, Absolutely. do you <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, no, I would agree with that, Diana. And you know, I, I continue to be impressed with Samsung Network. So um, you know, they, they've been a key launch partner of Verizon. So I wasn't surprised to see that they participated, you know, with Qualcomm here. 
um, you know, with with this uh, this deployment proof of concept, you know, whatever. But uh, it just con it continues to to demonstrate the maturity of what Samsung Networks is doing from an infrastructure perspective. And it's a great segue to like my second topic this week and final topic. And um, AT and T and Ericsson announced um, a partnership, which which is going to allow um, AT and T to deploy five G standalone across its C band you know spectrum assets. You know, and the big you know million dollar question for me is how quickly can this happen, right? Um, Ansel and I have talked about in the past, you know, the characteristics of C band. It is mid band, but it's going to require densification. And you know, we've been sort of, you know, um, you know, opinionated with respect to how quickly Verizon, you know, can can get that out, given just the the, the massive amount of spectrum that it purchased in the C band auction. But what I found interesting um, with, with the Ericsson announcement with AT and T, there are a couple of different technologies that are going to be employed. Um, 5G carrier ag, which is not surprising. There's also an advanced RAN coordination platform that's going to help bring some efficiencies to front hall. But um, what I found interesting is um, Ericsson has an advanced antenna system, and they believe that that's going to be key to um, getting C-band deployed because that you know that you know that IP that they bring to market enables extended coverage while also supporting you know, the right throughput and capacity for, you know, applications like FWA and that sort of thing. So I, I think it's going to also require, you know, some small cell densification to, to bring that all together. But um, it's it's exciting to see that AT&T is, is beginning to move now, you know, into standalone. Uh, we've talked about T-Mobile and how they've uh, been first standalone in the U.S. But I'm wondering, Anshul, uh, do you have any feedback here? I'm... Glad to hear this announcement, um, and I'm hoping that this will speed up AT&T's deployment um, because I, I just think that um, you know AT&T and Verizon have both kind of decided that they're slowing their deployment of standalone, mm -hmm. even though I think that's a mistake. Um, but I know that they are obviously choosing to do this because they probably don't think that standalone will be very useful unless they have mid-band rolled out. Um, so I think they're prioritizing mid-band uh, over SA, even though um, I do think that they should be doing both um, because I think the, the business benefits of mid-band won't be realized unless you have standalone. I'd agree. Diana, any thoughts? Uh, the only thing I'd add is that in terms of timing, um, I, I'm not sure if it's specifically for their standalone rollout or just for their C-band rollout more generally, but we do know that um, AT&T is kind of planning to cover 70 to 75 million people with C-band um, by the end of next year. Um, mm -hmm. And then they're looking to to push that to 200 million by the end of 2023. So I'll be interested to see whether that is indeed standalone or if that ends up being non-standalone. Um, I, I think it's interesting because Ericsson's also, uh, they seem to be on a hot streak right now. Cause yeah. right. Did they, they, they also got that really massive deal with, uh, Verizon recently. Um, it was something like 8 billion. Um, so yeah, it, it'll be interesting to, to see how AT&T's rollout plays out, um, to the previous point about needing densification, um, they have a lot on their plate right now. They're, they're still getting rid of all the, well, they just closed, I think, the DirecTV deal, but they've got this whole fiber rollout also going on in tandem. Yep. 
Um, So I personally will be looking at whether they're running fiber to any of these maybe new densified towers. Um, Because that's one of the things I've been working a lot more in wireline recently and and convergence is kind of the thing that everybody's talked about for the last couple of decades, but is now actually finally a thing, right? Because fiber can feed not only the homes, but also the towers. Um, so we know Verizon has already kind of got that in the back of their mind with, uh, I think it's their one rollout. Um, and I, I think AT&T is kind of looking at doing the same. So I, I'm going to be having an eye on that going forward. Yeah, they do have a lot on their plate, certainly. So great insights, Diana. Let, let's move to your second and final topic this week. You want to talk about Orange and Nokia? Yeah, so this is kind of one of those um, kind of tangential 5G topics, right? Um, it kind of goes to some of the other stuff I've been interested in, in the way uh, 5G and, and environmental issues have kind of collided. Um, so in this case, I, I know you say orange. It's very fancy, <laughs> but orange and Nokia. The French pronunciation, <laughs> right? <laughs> Orange and Nokia, uh, they're, they're teaming up to do some um, work to make RAN gear essentially recyclable. Uh, they're going to refurbish it and then redeploy it um, with Orange subsidiaries, which is kind of cool. This covers 3G, 4G, 5G, um, which will be interesting to see if that has any impact on 5G deployment costs, maybe in some of Orange's uh, less prominent markets. Um, I think they have several markets, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm doubting myself now. Um, <laughs> it's been such a day. Um, but yeah, so I think that'll be interesting, not only to see for Orange, but to see if that catches on elsewhere, right? So power uh, conservation has been a big thing for 5G, but now it's kind of 5G is becoming a vehicle for all these other initiatives. And, and this is just one of many that I've kind of seen going on across the space. And I'll be interested to see if other operators pick up on this and uh, want to jump on board. Um, is there anything about this that stands out to uh, either of you? Maybe Will, you want to go first? Yeah, you know, um, I, I think it's um, it's definitely I, I like it. It's 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 green. Um, you know, also if you think about you know, and I don't know specifically, I didn't I didn't read through the entire announcement, but um, if you kind of add sort of the the, the kind of capex superpower of of, of Open RAN as well. Um, you know, this could be, you know, quite compelling, right? So I, on the surface, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting and I wouldn't be surprised to see other operators adopt it. I, w- I wonder, Anshul, what your thoughts are. I actually think, I'm thinking, you know, as the economist I am, I'm thinking about the economic impacts on pricing for equipment uh, downstream, especially like lower end equipment mm-hmm. and what this might mean for, um, pricing in, in developing countries. Because mm-hmm. um, I think when you start flooding the market with um, affordable equipment that's refurbished, you actually give more choice. Um, and as a result of creating more choice, you create competition for price. So I think this will actually drive some more competition um, in developing markets, which ultimately will allow developing countries to get access to more equipment. Um, less expensively and allow them to modernize more quickly, hopefully giving them the event, the opportunity to have access to data um, to potentially improve their own um, condition when it comes to 
uh, climate change and, and, you know, the environment and build smart cities for cheaper using refurbished equipment. Yeah, no, it, it could be quite compelling. Well, hey, buddy, your uh, last topic this week, you want to talk about Open, uh, open Signal Report and uh, T-Mobile. Yep. So it's time for the October uh, Open Signal Report, um, which means we've got other ones coming very soon. Um, but this one kind of supports what we've been talking about over the last year with T-Mobile's mid-band rollout, um, which is that their mid-band rollout is allowing them to pull away from the competition. Um, and the fact that they have this low band 5G uh, means that they have 34.7% 5G availability nationwide, which is compared to AT&T's 16% and Verizon's 9.7. Um, mm -hmm. So one, that's just like the time you have the 5G logo visible on your phone and it's not lying to you. And then um, when we're looking at download speeds, this is also another illustration of how much the mid-band is helping T-Mobile versus AT&T and Verizon. Uh, AT&T's 5G download speeds are averaging at 51.5 megabits per second, while Verizon's are at 56 megabits per second. And that's obviously because they, their, mid their, their low band 5G DSS is dragging down their millimeter wave now. Um, and then T-Mobile's download is 118. So they're now well over 100 megabits per second and they're well over double both of the operators. In fact, if you want to be obnoxious, you can say T-Mobile's 5G download speeds are faster than AT&T and Verizon combined. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a pretty big deal. I do think Verizon and AT&T will eventually catch up, but I think that T-Mobile will also continue to grow as its mid-band coverage and density improves. I truly believe mid-band is going to be a two to three, deploy two to three year deployment for anybody. So I don't think we'll realize T-Mobile's mid-band potential until another two years from now. So I think AT&T Verizon are going to be on that same two to three year cycle. And I don't see Verizon AT or AT&T rolling out their mid-band networks any faster than T-Mobile has. So um, we'll see what happens there. But um, other than that, upload speeds are actually a lot closer. Um, and I think that's because, you know, uplink, there's a lot less... Uh, spectrum being utilized there. Um, but T-Mobile was faster there too with 16.1 megabits per second versus Verizon's 14 and AT&T's 9.7. Um, there's also some, some gaming tests and video tests. Uh, gaming and video Verizon wins both of those according to OpenSignal. But overall, it's, it's a pretty clear win for T-Mobile, especially when it comes to downloads and coverage, which is, I think, what most people care about right now. Yeah. My, my comment, um, because I spend time with T-Mobile and as well as you, my friend, um, is that what I want to start seeing now, you know, because they do have this lead from, from a deployment perspective, I want to see more discrete 5G services. I mean, we're seeing some, you know, some, some pops here and there with, you know, we've covered on a prior podcast, this, this uh, remote piloted um, vehicle service that's being launched in Las Vegas. It's not proof of concept. It's actually being launched. And, um, but I think, you know, T-Mobile for business as they sort of mature that portfolio. I mean, obviously T-Mobile was very heavily consumer focused prior to the Sprint acquisition. Sprint brings some, some business acumen. Some of the leaders within the TFB organization are former Sprint executives like uh, Mishka Dinigan. 
And and so I'm I'm waiting, you know, um, you know, for some of these, you know, discrete, you know, services that really take advantage of its lead on on the deployment. I'm wondering, Diana, what are your thoughts? Um, mine are more, I guess, personal in nature. Uh, I I actually have T-Mobile service. I don't usually talk about who my carrier is, um, but in this case, um, there are times I will say, I, I wonder what the breakdown is between uh, urban and rural performance. I feel like I'm in a pretty, not like a city, but I'm in the suburbs, right? And um, there are times where I have the 5G logo, I have three bars of service and nothing's happening on my phone. Huh. Um, so I, I, I do sometimes wonder, um, how these are impacted by congestion. So like if you're driving home in traffic um, and you're in the passenger seat for sure, uh, <laughs> looking at your phone um, and there are a bajillion other people next to you, um, how that might impact some of these speed performance. Um, and uh, to your point about enterprise services, uh, how this will perform in a crowded office um, or a crowded stadium. So uh, I, I, I just, I'm curious about um, some of the methodology behind it, um, which is my own fault for not reading into it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like these reports, but sometimes I feel like maybe um, the picture is not as clear cut as they would lead us to believe. So um, the only other thing I would add is, uh, Angela already mentioned this, um, the C-band rollouts are coming from, from Verizon and AT&T. Um, and I think that will be, um, a real test of T-Mobile's metal. Once once Verizon and AT&T have their C-band out, then I think it'll be a much more interesting report because the playing field will be a lot more level. Everybody yeah. will have low band, everybody yeah. will have mid band, everybody will have millimeter wave if they so choose to deploy it, which yeah. T-Mobile yeah. did, um, but they just haven't talked about it that much. Right. Um, so yeah, that those are the reports I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, and obviously, you know, mid-band provides that optimal balance of performance and propagation. So, yeah, I mean, time will tell, you know, once C-Bank rolls out. And I agree with Anshul, um, it's it's not going to be a trivial deployment. It's going to it's gonna be a couple of years. But this has been another great podcast, great insights. Um, thank you again, Diana, for coming on this week. And Anshul, why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Diana is at DM Marie's Beat, Will is at Will Town Tech, and I'm at Anshal Sag. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week.